Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week and our website, citychurchotr.com, to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. Today, I'm in week three of a four-week series that we're going through our four values, family mission, presence, formation. I taught on family a couple weeks ago, and what we're doing is we think, I mean, everyone's got their own thing going on, like I have this spiritual discipline, maybe you're doing that, maybe you're not doing anything, and what we're saying is for a season, for the rest of 2021, how cool would it be for a church family to say, I'm in for all four of those things? And to start to pursue, like, doing the same things together. And so week one is family. I said, uh, we're together by design. And uh, the big revolutionary, revelatory idea there was you should join a house group. Because we're a church with two front doors. And we really believe there's some things that are just not as good here that we can do in a living room. Uh, Last week, Wilson, my friend Wilson, taught on presence and talked about hearing God's voice. And so another thing as a church we're doing... Not only in joining house groups, but we're saying, um, I want to practice hearing God's voice every day. And we're just practicing. Like, we're practicing hearing God, and we know that he's spoken already through his word, and that's the best way to hear his voice. But we're practicing this idea of, like, God is still speaking, and so we want to be a church that is listening. And today, I'm talking about our uh, value of mission And and that's why we had Luke and Sarah here, because they've been living on mission. And so today, we're talking about how we are sent by design, how we're sent by design. And there's two competing truths that I want to kind of start off with and set the, set the stage, maybe even set the problem, because there's two things that are true that seem to be at odds with each other as, as it goes to with like living on mission or um, even this word like evangelism. The number one truth is that Jesus said that we're supposed to do it. Jesus said that we're not just living for like this insulated life, but we're supposed to be living on mission. And he said it so often that apparently all four gospel writers said we need to include some kind of like, we've got to include one of the times that he said this. So Matthew, it's probably the most famous, it's the Great Commission. Matthew was walking with Jesus and the very last thing that Matthew records Jesus saying before he ascends is Matthew 28, 19, and 20. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, and therefore I'm with you till the end of the age. In Mark 16, 15, a little more brief, but Mark, as he was studying the life of Jesus, he's like, oh man, I've got to include this call. He says, Go into all the world and proclaim the good news to the whole creation. Luke, we know Luke, uh, we were doing a series through Acts, picking that up in a couple weeks. Luke was studying diligently the life of Jesus, and he got this out of his studies of interviewing people that were doing life with Jesus. Jesus said that the Messiah will suffer and is going to rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. John kept it short. John was Uh, with Jesus, and he recalls this time that Jesus said this to him and his disciples, and he's saying it to us as well. John 20, 21, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I send you. It's incredibly clear from Jesus's life that he didn't intend for us to just be here, but there's some kind of element of going. 
Jesus, and they teach this in like seminary ministry 101, that if you start to gather a crowd, you stay there. Jesus didn't go to seminary. In Luke 4, um, he gets it confused. He starts to see this gathering and miracles start to break out. And everyone's like, okay, so you're just going to make this your home base. You're just going to stay here. And in Luke 4, Jesus says something really specific that you would never do if you're starting a church. You would never do if you're like trying to build a ministry and a brand and a name. He says, no, 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 I, I actually have to leave. He said, I've got to go elsewhere. And he says, I must. There's like such conviction in his voice. He says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Jesus was so convicted that even as momentum in his ministry started to build, he said, no, that's not why I've been sent. I've been sent to go to the other towns as well. Um, I used to be a pastor in Las Vegas and a pastor of like a newer church there. And we had this big brother church called Hope. And uh, they're a big church, really wonderful place. And uh, I'd go to like little conferences that they would host every now and then. And I remember Vance, the pastor, he would always read this verse and he would talk about his call to church planting of like this deep conviction. You know, he's just a good old boy from Arkansas and he's reading Luke 4 and it jumps out on the page. And you're hearing this story and I heard it like four or five times. And you're laughing because he's a good old boy. And then you're crying because he's called to Las Vegas. And by the end of it, you're just so emotionally moved. You're like, do I need to join Hope Church? No, I can't do that. There's another one. And, uh, and I remember thinking, because the whole time I was in Vegas, there was this burden of like this group of people, maybe we're going to plant this church. And I remember thinking, Lord, if we do this, I want to call like that. I want to call where like the words of scripture jump off the page. And all I got was a cheesy action movie with an actor that you guys tell me is overrated. <laughs> so that's the difference between Vance and I. But you know what? I love my story. <laughs> I love, and if you're new here, like, you're so confused. But if you stick around, you'll hear me talk about Fast and Furious. This is how I got a call to church planting. And, um, and I love this story because it's very clear. I love my story because it's very clear that you're not just supposed to stay, but you're supposed to go. And it seems really clear throughout the story of Jesus that we're called to go. And here's the problem. And there's a competing truth. So it's very true that Jesus said to go. The other truth is that evangelism or being sent or living on mission almost makes people, including Christians, shudder. And maybe it's triggering because of a political uh, a connotation that you have with that word. Or maybe you've remembered the stories of what you've heard about being sent and colonialism and the way that the Western Christians took the gospel to India and New Zealand and Africa, but also kind of forced their culture on them as well. Or maybe you've seen like somebody being sent or evangelism and they're carrying a street sign that really isn't that nice. And most of us are not there. So most of us kind of go to the other direction and like, that's, that doesn't seem to be working. And it's not even like, oh, that's wrong. Like, like, my thoughts on that are wrong. That's true. There have been some really ineffective ways of living out this mission that Jesus has called us to go. And so there's two competing truths that seem to be at work. I remember I talked with a street preacher once a couple years ago. And I guess I was just feeling really sassy. Um, but, you know, it's turn or burn or whatever. And his eyes got really big because I was walking up, and he thought I was going to turn, but uh, I wasn't there for that. And I was like, hey, I just want you to know, you make my job really difficult. 
I was like, I, I know, I don't know what was in me that day, but I was like, what you do makes what I do really hard. And I was like, this is what I do, and I really, I'm a follower of Jesus. You know, the same guy, I think, I don't know if we're following the same guy, but I was like, what you're doing seems to really be hurting, like, or seems to be putting barriers between people, because his sign was just awful. And uh, he's like, look, I got to get the truth out. He's like, I'm called to get the truth out. And I was like, okay, well, I can't argue with that. I was like, I can't argue with fruit. I'm sure you've seen a lot of people, like, come to know Jesus through this, right? <laughs> and uh, again, I'm more sanctified now. That was back in my 20s. Uh, and he's like, well, no, I've actually not seen anybody, but this is what I'm supposed to do. I thought there was like a window. He's like, but this is what I've got to do. And I was like, well, just so you know, this is really difficult for me <laughs> because when people hear what I do, they might picture what you're doing and it doesn't seem to be effective. And so these are truths. Jesus said to go and there seems to be a connotation, especially in this cultural moment that says evangelism. I mean, even that word is just a little bit um, striking, or it might hit a wrong chord, or the rest of the world doesn't want to receive that. And so how do we reconcile these two things? Barna, they do like Christian polling. They did a study recently of church-going Christian millennials. That's a lot of this church. Church-going, like real Christians, real church-going millennials. And they said this, 96% uh, agreed that part of my faith means being a witness about Jesus. It's good. I agree with that. 94% said the best thing I can ever do is give my life to Jesus and follow him, which is great. I think that that's so true. 94% also said the most loving thing I can do is introduce somebody else to Jesus. 94%. That's pretty high. 47% said it is wrong for me to share my beliefs with somebody that believes something different. 97, 94% said the best, most loving thing I can do is introduce someone to Jesus because he's made my life better. He's made my life more full. He's given me the fullness, the joy of life. And then half of them said, but it's wrong for me to share that with somebody else. And it's not just millennial church-going Christians. Jesus had a problem with wrong evangelism. Matthew 23, 15, he gets mad at the Pharisees because he's like, you guys travel all over the world and you make converts twice the child of hell that you are. That's where I get my sassiness from. He's like, you go all over the place and you're replicating who you are. I want you to replicate who I am. And so the big idea this morning, relevance is coming, is how do we reconcile these two truths? We can't ignore that Jesus has called us to be somewhat on the move and missional, yet we also can't ignore that some things aren't effective, some things aren't working, some things seem to trigger people in the wrong way, some things just are not the heart of Jesus. How do we reconcile those two things? How can those two realities exist? It seems like something's missing. Not only something's missing, most of Jesus' teachings, and stick with me here, most of Jesus' like famous teachings, like forgive your uh, enemy, love your enemy, uh, live generously, let's be honest, on their own, they don't make a ton of sense. Pause for dramatic effect. And I know what you're thinking. Is he about to refute Jesus? Is he about to say something heretical? What am I eating for lunch? Um, <laughs> I know somebody is asking that. Part of why this doesn't make sense is because we often skip over the thing that Jesus talked about the most. The way we reconcile these two realities is that the kingdom of God is actually the overarching banner that Jesus talked about. 
And all of his teachings and both of these realities make sense when we start to understand the primary message that Jesus came is that the kingdom of God is here. In the Gospel of Matthew alone, 28 chapters, he talks about the kingdom of God 50 times. He talks about the kingdom of God more than hell, more than heaven, more than money, more than generosity. He talks about the kingdom of God. His primary message is that the kingdom of God is here, and it's the banner for which everything else, all of this living scent but not offending, makes sense. And the big idea this morning, this is in your notes, I really want us to leave with this, is that we carry a kingdom, not an agenda. Yeah, that's good. Amen. We carry a kingdom, not an agenda. And it's when we start to carry and move into an agenda mindset that we start to see some really ineffective ways of sharing Jesus. Or, I've never made a cardboard sign, never had a turn or burn, anything. I've actually tended to go in the other direction, and maybe you have as well, where I just do nothing. I, I haven't really missed on this side. I haven't like offended people with like really terrible signs or I haven't, um, I hope I haven't done anything like what we've seen in Christian history with using Jesus as the banner. But what I have done is I've missed on the other side. And the reality is we carry a kingdom, not an agenda. And I've moved into an agenda mindset of I need to make Jesus palatable and sometimes that just means I need to say nothing. And I forget that I carry the kingdom of God. Um, a little history lesson. So Jesus lived under the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, even before Jesus was around, when it first came into power over Jerusalem, there was this guy in charge named Julius Caesar. Not just a Shakespeare play, right? Uh, he was a real person. He led Rome. He was murdered, A2. Brute, very good. You guys didn't think I knew theater. I've exhausted 80% of my knowledge right there. So Julius Caesar's murdered, and there's this squabble for power over the Roman Empire between Mark Antony, who was kind of the favorite, and this guy, Gaius Octavian. Gaius Octavian was the adopted son. Some of this might sound familiar. He was the adopted son of Julius Caesar, and there's this squabble for power. Julius Caesar dies, and at his funeral, at this massive party remembering Julius Caesar, there's a star that shot across the sky. And Octavian, his, his son, saw that, and so did everyone else. And we all know what that means, right? At, at a funeral, when you see a shooting star, we know that that means that Julius Caesar has now ascended among the gods and is now one of them, which was incredibly convenient for Gaius Octavian, because if your dad becomes God, what does that make you? It makes you the son of God. And so uh, Gaius Octavian changes his name to Caesar Augustus. Maybe you've heard of him. And Caesar Augustus is now ruling uh, the Roman Empire, and he's been ruling since the birth of Jesus. It's in Luke 2. And what we start to see is some parallels that Luke and Mark and Matthew start to kind of like refute. One of them is that the Son of God is said to have, Caesar Augustus is said to have brought good news. His kingdom is bringing good news. And after a while, people started to see that's not really true. This good news hasn't gone to everyone. It seems to be going to the elite. And so Caesar Augustus ushers in just his birth alone. This might sound familiar too. The birth of Caesar Augustus was said to have brought good news. And then Jesus comes onto the scene. And I want you to imagine how politically scandalous this would be when he walks in and he says, I'm bringing good news. See, we read that, and it's like, oh, that's great. He is good news. Loving enemies, that sounds great. In America, 21st century, 
that's not that scandalous. But in first century Judaism, in first century Roman Empire, that would have been incredibly subversive. And the word good news is the word euangelion. Everybody, euangelion. Everybody say euangelion. Yeah, so we're speaking Greek, and so he comes, and he says, I've brought euangelion. It's where we get the word evangelism. And so in Mark 1, Mark 1, he starts off the gospel of Jesus, Mark 1, 14 to 15. He says, after John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the euangelion, the good news of God. And here's what Jesus said. It's a simple sermon. It's not the Sermon on the Mount. That's like the best sermon ever preached. This is like a two-sentence sermon. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. I know you'd kill for like a a two-sentence sermon right now. This is what Jesus brought, though. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe. And what he's saying is there's been a kingdom that's going this way. There's been a kingdom that's been led by somebody else. There's now a competing kingdom that's here and it's come near, what that means is it is available to us. And I love this because he's saying, hey, I know you've heard this from Caesar. I know you've heard this from the world. It's actually that. And it starts to make sense of all the prophetic things that have been said about Messiah and the kingdom that he would bring because Jesus says, no, 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 you don't get it. Now the kingdom is here. And not only that it's here, but you're invited to live into it. And we live in a time of two kingdoms. It's the kingdom of God and everything else. And when we start to understand that the kingdom of God is here, the agenda of sharing Jesus's news starts to go away and the greatness of this kingdom starts to take its place. And it's the moments that Jesus following gets really difficult that I start to lean more and more into that agenda. It's like, I just got to pray this thing. I got to do this thing. I got to muster up more faith. Instead of remembering that the kingdom of God is here, that the kingdom of God has come near. And I always thought that the kingdom of God, the good news of Jesus, and this is to no one's fault, really, but I just thought it was that I don't have to go to hell. I mean, honestly, for the longest time, and maybe some of you are with me, the longest time I thought the good news was that I just get to avoid something later. It doesn't change much now, but I get to avoid something later. And Jesus' gospel, the kingdom that Jesus brings, says, no, 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 no. We have the fullness of life now. He makes my life better now. He makes your life more full now. He makes everything in this kingdom better, and we get to be with him later. It's not just a future-oriented thing. So in Matthew 28, I missed probably the most important verse of Matthew 28. In the Great Commission, he says, therefore, go. But what we often forget to read is verse 18, where Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. I've exhausted a lot of my literature knowledge. One more thing from English classes. I remember in elementary school, they said, when you read a sentence and it says, therefore, you need, I don't know if anybody else had this, you need to ask what the therefore is. Therefore. Okay, come on, public school. Um, and so I, I remember that every time I read the Bible. It's in Hebrews at one point. It's uh, Romans 12 again where it's like, therefore, therefore. And I always remember, I need to look at before this because apparently whatever he's saying now is contingent on the thing before. And so the Great Commission, what we often quote is like Matthew 28, 19, and 20, actually starts in verse 18 when he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. And it's this ambassador language. It's this delegation language where Jesus says, I've taken the kingdom back from who it was taken from. 
The keys of heaven, the keys of the kingdom were taken away when sin entered the world. And I've taken that back. I've gone back and got them. And now we can go. And so the good news of the kingdom is that we actually get to live in it with the authority that Jesus has given. We have the ability to carry that kingdom because of what Jesus died and was brought back to life for. We have authority. We have delegated authority. We are, that's why Paul says that we're ambassadors of the gospel. The keys of the kingdom have actually been given back to us. So, uh, what's that mean? Well, one, it means that we are sent. We're sent by design. Uh, Mortimer Arias, he is um, a Methodist bishop in Bolivia. I love this quote that he says. He says, every generation, both inside and outside the church, has to be evangelized. There's that word. That is, so he's now defining it, confronted with the good news of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And every generation of Christians has the unique and non-transferable responsibility of sharing the good news with its own generation. Unique and non-transferable. That's why being a good neighbor shouldn't be a burden. That's why living into like our towns, our neighborhoods, our little sectors of society, it should be a little bit easier than I know what I've made it in the past. And it should probably be easier than what you've depicted as evangelism in the past. Living sent means that there's a kingdom that's already within you. Now you have the authority and the ability to carry that through selfless love, not through force, through unbelievable serving, not through um, overarching, commanding tones, but we get to carry the kingdom just like Jesus did with humility. That's good news. It's good news because that means that this command for Jesus, that we're living sent, that we're sent into the world, it might not be as bad as it's been depicted. It might not be as stressful. Carrying the kingdom is actually like a joy, making sure we've got to get some news out to somebody so that they at least have heard the truth. That sounds exhausting. But the kingdom, the reality that we live in the kingdom is something totally different. Uh, N.T. Wright is way smarter than me, so we'll believe him when he says that the good news is that the one true God has taken charge of the world in and through Jesus and his death and resurrection. And so maybe you've, and maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you've heard that the good news is that you don't have to go to hell. I'm sorry that that's been your experience. That's, that is good news. But really the good news is that Jesus is on the throne. And Jesus is on the throne and he's ushering in his kingdom and we have the ability and the option through his death and resurrection to live into that. The good news is that we get to partner with God, not that we have to become his um, infinitely low subjects, that we get to uh, approach our Father in heaven as if we're heirs, not that we are just slaves to who he is. That language, that idea changes everything. It changes everything for what this good news that maybe you've been told by someone is, because it's really, really good news but it might be even better than what you've heard before. Uh, in college ministry, I like started to really come to faith in college, and, uh, and one of the phrases around like college ministry is that no matter how thriving a college ministry is, it is four years away from dying. <laughs> it's gruesome. But uh, every, no matter how healthy and large it is, 
college, I mean, and, and college missionaries know this, right? Every movement is four years away from death. Like if we don't actually invest in the freshmen that are coming in next year, now we're just one more year closer to there being nothing left here. Again, gruesome, not the thing that wants to fuel me, but it is a good illustration that the church is maybe a little bit more resilient or long-lasting, but not much. I mean, like, every generation has to keep this thing going. Every generation has to carry the kingdom to the next generation. I want to be a part of a generation that it actually starts to grow. That's not been what's spoken over my generation. My generation is the one that's walking out in droves not giving Jesus a chance because mostly of what his followers have done. I believe that the good news of Jesus is actually better than any bad thing that a Christian has done. I believe that the good news of Jesus, that the kingdom has come, actually has the ability to expand, and we're not just playing defense this whole time. So if this is true, if this is true, then this means that salvation isn't just about getting into heaven but it's about getting heaven into you. It's not just about going up there, but it's about bringing heaven down here. Do you guys think it was going to be one of those things where I ranted for a while? It is. It's not just about dying later, but it's about dying to self now. It's just not just about living for heaven, but it's about living for earth. It's not just about a transaction, but a transformation. Not just a transformation of an individual, but a transformation of all society. It's not just about what God can do for us. It's, it's about what God can do in us. It's not just about what happens if we die, but what happens if you live. It's not just about going to church, but it's about being baptized into a family. It's not just about carrying an agenda, but it's about carrying the kingdom of God. It's about carrying the kingdom of God. And when we start to understand the agenda has been set free, that's one of the things I think Jesus died for, it starts to become a lot more fun to be a Christian. It starts to be a lot more fun to be a good neighbor. It starts to be a lot more fun to carry what Jesus died for and was resurrected for into our neighborhoods and our homes and our schools and our workplaces. It's not just, I've got to get the truth out there. I think that guy was so mistaken. I spoke the truth. I've done my job. That doesn't seem like the kind of thing Jesus came and instituted to the world. That seems like the kind of evangelism that Jesus was criticizing the Pharisees for. Rosaria Butterfield wrote um, a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, and she talks about living missionally, and she calls it, and I think it really is, it's called hosp hospitality. And she says, when we do this, it turns strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family. Man, I want like a poster of that or something. It turns strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family. And so uh, every week we have a practice that we're introducing. This one, again, I just get the really simple ones. This one is to be a good neighbor once a week. Be a good neighbor once a week and do it to somebody that won't pay you back. So like, please still continue to love your spouse or best friend or roommate. That, I don't want to get legalistic, but I will. That doesn't count. Um, I want you to pay someone, I want you, or I want you to serve someone that is like, uh, unlikely to pay you back. And it's just getting in this rhythm, it's building this muscle of serving a community and living on mission. And remember, uh, to the best of your ability, because we had to put like some kind of goal on this, the agenda is not like, oh, I got to get that in before next Saturday night. The goal is that remember that you, if a follower of Jesus, you are a carrier of the kingdom of God. You embody the spirit of Jesus. And you can go serve, and maybe that doesn't mean you also hand them a gospel tract. 
you can go serve and believe that like the kingdom is advancing. And at some point, the news needs to be shared. But the goal is not to get it out as quick as possible. The goal is to have an agenda of nothing except love. Um, I want to close with uh, a story of probably one of the most significant um, spiritual influences that America has seen. And uh, his name's Edward Kimball. Everybody's heard of him, I assume. That was sarcasm. I doubt anybody's ever heard of him. But Edward Kimball um, lived, in, I think, it's the 1870s. And uh, he was just a, like a part-time youth pastor. He had a group of boys that he decided, um, I'm going to serve them and I'm going to love them no matter what. And they were like especially rambunctious. And, uh, and so one day he went and visited one of the boys on his own. Uh, and it was probably like the, the biggest troublemaker of them all. And he went and visited him at his work. And this boy was just stocking shoes uh, at a shoe store. And uh, they end up talking, and Kimball ends up leading this boy uh, into a relationship with Jesus. He leads him into a relationship with Jesus, and this boy's whole life changes. And this boy's name was D.L. Moody. Maybe you've heard of him. D.L. Moody becomes this crazy evangelist, and he travels over continents bringing the gospel, and thousands, thousands of people come to know Jesus because of the ministry of D. Dwight L. Moody. And it's all because one man, Edward Kimball, was faithful in serving this boy in such a mundane way. It's because he decided to carry the kingdom to his neighbor. Moody ends up preaching, and he leads a guy to Christ named Wilbur Chapman. And Wilbur Chapman ends up becoming an evangelist as well, and he leads thousands upon thousands of people to Jesus. And one time when he was doing a, a, a service, he was doing a tent revival meeting, a professional baseball player came named Billy, and Billy gets radically saved and starts following Jesus so much so that he's like, I've got to leave my life of baseball behind. I've got to come do this. And Billy Sunday ends up taking over Wilbur Chapman's ministry. So Billy Sunday is holding revivals, and he's preaching all over the place, and he goes to Charlotte in the 1930s, and he invites one of his friends to come preach named Mordecai Ham. And so Mordecai Ham starts to preach, and he's doing this revival in 1934 in Charlotte, and there's a bunch of high school boys that heard about it, and they're like, we should go disrupt this thing. And so these high school boys go, and they uh, have the intention of disrupting it. One of them just said, I'm going to go. I'm not going to disrupt it. I'm just going to watch. And this one, as he went that first night, he was intrigued by what he heard from Mordecai Ham. So he came back a second night, and he gets radically encountered with the love of Jesus, and he starts to follow him. His name was Billy Graham. So Billy Graham starts to preach the gospel all over the world. There's not one person that's preached in America more and led more people. I mean, this is thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people come to know Jesus because of the ministry of Billy Graham. This is in your notes, um, and I love, I love this idea. It takes a move of God to save thousands. I mean, let's just be honest. We can't will that up. But it takes a move of you to just reach one. It was the faithfulness of Edward Kimball that led to the ministry of Billy Graham. Uh, but I'm not done. Billy Graham starts preaching all over America, including in Kentucky. And there's this rural uh, couple named Hubert and Lola Stark. They lived in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky. Uh, but they went to uh, the 1956 revival in Louisville. And they brought their daughter, Mary Jane. And so Mary Jane goes, and she falls in love with Jesus, and she falls in love with the Jesus that her parents have been following as they've been watching and following the ministry of Billy Graham. And so Mary Jane becomes this fiery person 
that's totally in love with Jesus, so much so that she was burdened for her niece, Stacy, who didn't live in a Christian home. And so she starts ministering, uh uh-oh, allergies. She starts ministering to Stacy and uh, and ends up leading her to Jesus. And uh, she has it written in her Bible, Mary Jane's Bible, April 6, 1983. Stacy gives her life to Jesus. A couple years later, Stacy Stark starts to date this guy, Tony. They get married. A couple things happen after that that I don't want to talk about. And on July 6th, 1989, Chris Marlin is born. And if you're new, that's me. And Chris Marlin, or Christopher, as Stacy would prefer for you to call me, doesn't really have a chance. He doesn't really have a chance I mean, he tries, like, really did my best to sin well, to go other ways, but is so raised in the presence of God that, like, I had to end up here, not here as a preacher, here as a Christian. There was so much momentum behind my life. There was so much prayer behind my life that I had to end up here in relationship with Jesus despite, despite trying other things. And so loving your neighbor, living sent, evangelism, whatever you want to call it, this is really personal for me. This is personal because I'm not here if it's not for the faithfulness to carry the kingdom of Stacy, of Mary Jane, of Lola and Hubert, of Billy Graham, of Mordecai Ham, Billy Sunday, Wilbur Chapman, D.L. Moody. And I'm so thankful that Edward Kimball didn't take stocking shelves lightly but he saw it as an opportunity for the kingdom to invade earth. And he saw it as an opportunity for the kingdom of God to rush in. Uh, The band can come up. I want to go into worship with this in mind. And, uh, And you might not have quite the story that I do. Actually, you do. You just haven't spent all the time going backwards. Maybe you just thought a friend invited you here, but what's that friend's story? And where's the faithfulness of God been in the past generations? And here is, this is just me, but here's what I've decided. It's not stopping with me. It cannot stop with me. The kingdom of God has been advancing way too forcefully to get me here for me to just waste that opportunity. And I'm hoping I've got another 60 in me. I'm going to pick up the torch from the previous generation, and I'm going to carry the kingdom of God, not an agenda. I'm going to carry the kingdom of God to the farthest and darkest places and into my neighborhood, into my uh, restaurants, and into the places that don't know Jesus. And I'd love for you to join me. There is momentum behind your life as well. There is something that's led you here. And it was the faithfulness to carry the kingdom of God into a place that it wasn't there before. So, Father, we ask that you would breathe in this room, God. Father, even just reminding myself of the story, I can't get over the grand plan of you pursuing me. And I know that I'm not special in that way. There's a plan and there's momentum behind every single person in this room. Father, help us to catch that. God, help us to be moved and stirred to action. Father, help us to learn what it looks like to carry your kingdom and be a good neighbor.